Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Well, like Isaac was just sharing today, we come to the end of our series through the life of Elijah. And over the course of the last few weeks, we have seen the life of Elijah go through a number of different highs and lows. Uh, We've seen Elijah confronting kings, uh, and by extension, confronting the entire nation of Israel, rebuking them for their idolatry and calling them back into covenant relationship with God. We've seen Elijah perform miracles, Isaac, or uh, Elijah causing it to not rain for three years and then causing it to rain, Elijah calling fire down from heaven. And we've also seen Elijah in the low points and the points of his message being rejected, his life being threatened, him running for his life and being dejected, asking God to take away his life because of what he perceives to be failure in his own ministry. And over the course of all of that, through all the highs and the lows, over the course of this series, we've had this truth from the New Testament letter of James hanging over us that you can see on the screen right now as our title for this series, that Elijah was a man like us, imperfect, just like we are, and yet God uses him for great purposes. That's the story we've been covering, and that story comes to an end today. And yet, the story does not truly end. Elijah's story comes to a close, but the story that God is telling across the story of all of Scripture continues. No story of any one human life truly ends just with, with their death. The ramifications, uh, the, the legacy that every one of us leaves behind continues on after we are gone, for better or for worse. And we'll see that in 2 Kings 2 today. But before we jump into the text, I want to try to explain a little better what I mean when I say the, con- the story continues on with a, with a little bit of an object lesson. If you remember back to the first week of the series we started, by I brought Henry up here on stage with me, and Henry educated us on superheroes a little bit. And I want to try to bookend the series by having some of the teenagers help me today, and we'll see how it goes. So Gabby's the first one who's going to help me today. Like Isaac, I have a few uh, things in my office that remind me of things uh, that have come before me, and Gabby brought one of those that stays on top of my bookshelf, and it is a toy tractor. For those that are interested, it's a Ferguson 20. We can get into all the details of that after church if you're, if you're curious, because I can tell you. But my great-uncle Carl bought a tractor like this when he came back from serving in World War II. He bought a real tractor. He didn't buy a toy tractor. I should clarify that. But he bought a real one uh, and farmed with it for many, many years. And as he got closer to the end of his life, uh, and that tractor was still on his farm, his brother, my, my grandpa, bought that tractor from him and restored it to almost like new and was able to finish it just a few months before uh, my Uncle Carl uh, passed away. And over the course of retirement, my grandpa did that with a few uh, tractors. This one was the one that meant the most to him, but uh, with four or five different 
tractors, he would buy them and restore them and things like that. And, and because it's really hard to shop for Christmas presents for grandpas, in case you didn't know, uh, at one point along the way, my mom started buying uh, toy tractors, model tractors like this one to match the ones that he had restored uh, that he could keep in his home uh, uh, for display. And uh, he passed away a few years ago. I was home for Christmas last year. No one was around to stop me, so I stole this one. And, uh, and I keep it now uh, on top of the bookcase in my office here at the church. And I will admit, this is just a toy tractor. Gabby asked me this morning if she could take it out and play with it, and I stopped her. But I guess she'll do it, probably do it for the rest of the sermon now. There's nothing special about it in and of itself. And yet it stays in my office because it is a physical reminder for me of those who have come before me. And you probably have reminders like that around, whether it's in your home, in your vehicle, where you work, something like that. Physical reminders of those who maybe are no longer with us uh, that, that, that remind us of those who have come before. And we'll see something like that in the story today. Uh, we'll see Elisha, the successor of Elijah, receive a physical reminder to take with him that even though Elijah is gone, the story continues, and he is called to follow in Elijah's footsteps. You can go sit down, Gabby. Thank you. So I want to break down the rest of the time uh, we have this morning into two parts. Uh, the first part, I want to read our text for us this morning, 2 Kings 2, verses 1 to 18, and walk through what this text means. And then after we've done that, after we get a grasp on what this text means, I want to make a second uh, pass through it and talk about what this text means for, for us, what it means for Mary. And those aren't necessarily two different things. There's a lot of overlap between the two, but I think they're both important because we are a specific group of people gathered together in a specific place at a specific time. And therefore, it's important for us to reflect on what God is saying to us through this text so that we can reflect on where he is leading us. So let's read 2 Kings 2, verses 1 to 18. It says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, Surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he, Elisha, replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets of Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took the cloak, rolled it up, took his cloak, excuse me, rolled it up and struck the water with it. 
The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The Spirit of the Lord is resting on Elisha. Or excuse me, the Spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. Sorry. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, oh, we, we, your servants, have 50 able men. Let, let them go and look for your master. Uh, perhaps the, the Spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or, or in some valley. No, Elijah replied. Do not send them. They persisted until he was too embarrassed to refuse. So he, he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, Didn't I tell you not to go? There's a cycle to uh, this passage you probably picked up on pretty easily as, as we were reading. Elijah's about to depart, and everyone knows that that is about to happen, and yet Elisha won't let him leave. And there's a variety of opinions on what that means. Is Elijah trying to, to get away and Elisha's being difficult, not taking the social cues that he should, he should leave and, and, and he just isn't getting the hint? Or is, is maybe Elijah the one who's being difficult? Elijah's maybe being disobedient to God. He's trying to get rid of Elisha, and Elisha's the one who is holding on, refusing to go away. I'm not sure. And I don't think the text is really interested in giving us a clear answer to that question, but I think... What is happening each time Elijah goes a little further and then tells Elisha to stay, Elisha refuses until they continue on, is Elijah asking the question of whether or not Elisha is truly prepared to follow in his footstep. If you remember all the way back to the last few verses of 1 Kings chapter 19, when Elisha was first called to follow after Elijah, Elisha left behind everything to follow after him. And now... We're to the point where Elijah's about to depart. And we keep coming back to Elijah uh, asking him to stay, almost as a, a final preparation, as one last test, one last question of, are you sure? Are you sure that you are leaving everything to follow me and to do what God is calling you to do? And so, and Elisha continues to stay. And they continue to travel on from one city to the next, from Bethel to Jericho and to the Jordan River. 
And once they get to the Jordan River, Elijah strikes the water with his cloak. The waters part. They walk through on dry ground. And that might not resonate with us. The places named there in those verses might not seem all that significant to us. But if we were to read these verses with the book of Joshua in our mind, there would be alarm bells going off all over the place. When the people of Israel first enter into the promised land in Joshua chapter 3 and 4, they cross the Jordan River. God miraculously parts the water so that all the people can walk through on dry ground. And then as they continue into the promised land, the first major city that the people of Israel come to is Jericho. God miraculously delivers Jericho over to his people in Joshua 5 and 6. And then in chapter 8, the next two cities that they come to to conquer are two cities close to one another that are the cities of Ai and Bethel. So what Elijah and Elisha are doing in this text from verse 2 down to verse 8 is retracing the path that Israel took into the promised land in reverse. Israel came into the promised land by going from the Jordan River to Jericho to Bethel. And now Elijah and Elisha are going from Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan River. And I think that's really important. But we'll come back to why that's important here in a little bit. Just file that away for a few minutes. Because before we get to that, we need to look at verse 9. Elijah asks if he can do anything for Elisha before he goes. Elisha asks if he can have a double portion of his spirit. And when we read that, that might seem odd. It might seem like Elisha's asking Elijah, hey, can I be twice the prophet that you were or something like that? We might think, that's a little arrogant. Uh, But what Elisha is asking there is if he can be carry on Elijah's legacy as if he was his firstborn son. The firstborn in the ancient world receives a double portion of the inheritance. And so what would happen if a man died, and let's say that man had two sons, you essentially divide up the inheritance into three parts, and then the oldest gets two parts and the youngest gets one part, which as an oldest child doesn't sound half bad. But that's, I mean, we could bring that back if we wanted to. I don't know. Um, we'll just file that away for later. Um, But that's the background going on when Elisha asks to receive a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He's asking that he might be able to carry on that spiritual legacy. Just like how the firstborn son receives a double portion so that they might continue on their family legacy, Elisha asks for the same. Elijah responds, says, that's not really mine to to grant, but if you see me being taken away, that that will be God's confirmation that he is giving that to you. And as they continue on, uh, in verses 11 and 12, what Elisha asks for happens. And when Elisha sees this, he makes that proclamation, My father, the, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, which seems kind of odd, but it seems to be a proclamation from Elisha that what he is witnessing, the prophet Elijah and these uh, chariots and horses of fire, are the true power of Israel. Not the king, not the army, not the administration, the bureaucracy, anything like that. None of that's important. What is important is the power of God and God speaking through his prophet. Elisha experiences all of that, and then Elijah's gone. And with Elijah gone, Elisha does two things, if you notice there in the, in, in the passage, that are related to clothing. First, there at the end of verse 12, he tears his garments in two, the, the standard sign in the ancient world of mourning, of grieving someone's loss. Elijah's gone. His mentor, who had been preparing him to take over to be this prophet to the nation of Israel, is no longer with him. And there's sadness with that reality. 
losing someone we are close to, even if it's a, a situation where uh, the person knows the Lord and has been in pain for some time, and we know that they're better off with the Lord than they were in their last few years on this earth, even when that's the case, losing someone is not easy. There's still sadness. When we look back, when we realize that, that all we have left are memories or stories, as opposed to their presence. We might not tear our clothes when we mourn today, but we still mourn. And yet Elisha does not just mourn. He does not just tear his garments in two. There in verse 13, he takes up the cloak of Elijah. Of Elijah. If you remember again, back to 1 Kings 19, where Elisha is first called to follow after Elijah. We're told Elisha's out plowing in the field. Elijah comes up behind him and puts his cloak over him. And that is the sign that Elisha is being called to follow him. And now, just as Elisha left the life that he knew to follow the calling of Elijah through having the cloak placed on him back in 1 Kings 19, now he takes up the cloak again, putting it on for himself as a statement that he's following where God is leading. Elisha begins to return. Elijah's gone from the story almost as quickly as he appeared, if you remember back to 1 Kings 17. Elijah's gone, but God is not done working. And that is demonstrated to Elisha almost immediately as he makes his way back to the rest of this company of the prophets. And if we're reading through this story in the way that we, or maybe I should just say I, typically read through stories like this, we might be surprised. Typically, we might read a story like this and think, well, sure, it's easy to trust in God when you're seeing stuff like chariots of fire taking Elijah up into heaven. If I could see that, I wouldn't have any problem doubting what God was doing in my life. And yet, although it's true that Elisha experiences things that I'm guessing no one listening to me right now has ever experienced, we see that that doesn't guarantee complete trust in God. When Elisha comes back to the Jordan River, look at the statement he makes there in verse 14. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Elisha hasn't been handed a playbook on what's supposed to come next. And with that, there seems to be at least a hint of doubt that perhaps, perhaps God's not going to be present anymore. Perhaps God won't be as active as he was when Elijah was around. Maybe there's doubts. Doubts. Elijah was a far better person than I was. I, if everyone's counting on me to take over for Elijah, they're in trouble. Elijah seemed to have access to God in a way that I've never experienced for myself. How in the world am I supposed to step into this role? Where now is the God of Elijah? Sure, God can work through Elijah, but that doesn't mean he's going to be able to work through me. And yet, even if it is not revealed with a big booming voice from heaven, God begins to show that even though Elijah is gone, the work of God continues. God is not just the God of Elijah. He's the God of every generation. He's even the God of Elisha. And he begins to reveal that as he parts the Jordan again. Elisha strikes the Jordan River with the same cloak in the same way that Elijah had done earlier. And again, the Jordan River parts so that Elisha can walk through on dry ground. And again, we're called back to the book of Joshua. At the beginning of the book of Joshua, this generation of Israelites that have been wandering in the wilderness 
learning about God is ready to cross into the promised land. And they are called to put their trust in God. Just like how God had miraculously parted the Red Sea for their parents back in the Exodus when they were delivered out of slavery in Egypt, the people of Israel are called to again put their trust in God. As they, part, as they enter into the promised land, God parts the Jordan River for them in the exact same way as a statement that he has not changed, as a statement that he is still with them and that therefore they should trust him. God was still the God of Israel, just as he had been in the previous generation when he parted the Red Sea. And now, Elisha receives the same reminder. He comes to the same river, the Jordan River. He sees it parted miraculously in the same way as a testimony to his generation as well that God has not gone anywhere. The parting of the Jordan in Joshua called the nation of Israel, that generation, to take ownership of their trust in God from their parents' generation. And this parting calls Elisha to take ownership of the role God is calling him into as well. At the Exodus, God took his people through water miraculously at the Red Sea out into the wilderness so that they could, they could know God, so that God could prepare could prepare them for his purpose for them, and then he brings them through water miraculously again as they cross the Jordan River so that they could live out his purposes for them in the land that he had given them. And Elisha follows the exact same pattern. Notice that. He goes across the Jordan, out into the wilderness, and now he comes back through the Jordan again into the promised land, into this role God is calling him into. And then the story ends. We get this weird little ending where the rest of the crowd doesn't believe Elijah's truly gone. I mean, we've seen already Elijah kind of has this tendency to disappear sometimes, so maybe he's just, you know, pulling a trick on us and he's going to be back here before long. And so they go looking for him and they find nothing. All they're left with is Elisha, which on the one hand might be a little unsettling. I mean, Elijah was the one who made rain stop for three years. He was the one who called fire down from heaven. Really, all we know about Elisha up to this point in the story is that he used to be a farmer. All that's left is Elisha. And yet, that is all that God's people need. And that's not because there's anything great about Elisha, just like how there wasn't anything great about Elijah. The prophet has changed, but the God who is at work has not. God has not gone anywhere, but he invites the next generation of his people into the work that he is doing. And just like how the work of God continues as the cloak is passed from Elijah to Elisha, the same is true for God's people today. Each generation of God's people is called to take up his calling for us, for ourselves. Just as the nation of Israel crosses the Jordan in the book of Joshua as a statement that they are putting their trust in God just as their parents had done, just as Elisha crosses the Jordan as a statement that he is trusting in God just as Elijah had done, each generation of God's people are called to step into God's calling for themselves. You've maybe heard it said that God has lots of children, but he has no grandchildren. And as cheesy as that statement might sound, I think it's true. Each generation is called to step into God's calling for themselves as the work of God continues. And in saying that, I know 
That might sound a bit overwhelming, or, or maybe it can at least sound a bit overwhelming to me. So I want to use a couple other objects to try to explain what that gets at. And so the first object is a reminder that we do not take up the calling of God alone. And the object I want to use to try to explain that is a bobblehead of Abraham Lincoln, if Ava could bring it up here. I'll try to make it make sense here in a minute. Aren't you glad that the person who's supposed to knew they were going to come up on stage sat in the very back row <laughs> that they could milk their time all as much as they could? <laughs> so, Ava here has a bobblehead of Abraham Lincoln. Have you been shaking it through the whole sermon like you said you were going to? Oh, okay. Has it not, because it hasn't been that good a sermon? or? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, a few months ago, uh, I was visiting my friend Ron. Uh, Ron is a preacher at a church in Illinois. And while I was visiting him, uh, he took me one day to the Lincoln Presidential Library and Museum, which is what passes for entertainment in central Illinois. So as we are there, we go through the, uh, the museum, the library, everything, and we're leaving through the gift shop like you have to do. And as we're going through, he says to me, oh, I got to buy you a Lincoln bobblehead. I've got a Lincoln bobblehead on my desk in my office, and you need one too. You might notice that as I tell this story, there's never a point where he asked me if I wanted a Lincoln bobblehead. (laughs) So he bought this for me, and I uh, brought it back here with me. And if you've ever walked in my office and wondered why there's a bobblehead of Abraham Lincoln sitting on top of my bookcase, like staring out the front door, like watching you when you come in the door of my office, that's why. Um, I don't have anything against our 16th president. It's just not really the kind of interior decoration I would have picked out for myself. But I keep that, this bobblehead in my office as a reminder to me that the kingdom of God is bigger than Marion Road Christian Church. God has not just called us as individuals to follow him. He has not just called this church to follow him. He has called his people spread across the globe into where he is leading them. We have been called to walk alongside our brothers and sisters, those who might be in this room right now, those who are spread all over the world following God's calling into the work that God is inviting us into. Jesus was serious when he said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And as we trust in God, as the work of God continues, even into our own generation, we trust in him. And we're encouraged by that, that we are not the only ones doing this, but we are called to trust in him alongside brothers and sisters as God's work continues across the entire world. All right, Ava, you can sit down. And we can also be encouraged by the examples of those who have gone before us, which I'm reminded of with the object that Ruthie and Shelby are going to bring up on stage now. This is a portrait of a lighthouse. And this was hanging up in my office back when my office was Rick's office. Uh, And it stayed after after Rick moved out. Uh, And I've kept it hanging up. Not because I have any particular attachment to lighthouses necessarily, but, but as a reminder for me that Marion, as it currently exists is walking in the footsteps of those who have gone before us. This congregation has been gathering together in worship 
for 150 years, over 150 years, I should say. And that's an incredible blessing that God has sustained us to this point. And it's an incredible calling to know the legacy that we are carrying on as we walk where God is leading us here in the present. I should clarify that I don't think that Rick was here for all 150 of those years or something like that. That's not what I was suggesting. But every time we gather together here in this building, we are carrying on that legacy. Those that we know, those that we love, who are no longer with us, we are joining in with that great cloud of witnesses carrying on that same legacy, following in the same footsteps of trusting God as he leads us forward, even in this generation right now. You guys can sit down. And in saying all of that, I am not trying to shove anyone out the door or anything like that. We need people of every walk of life to follow God well together as we walk after him wherever he might lead. But what I am saying is that it is essential for us to move into where God calls us together. Each of us stepping into where God leads us to be his people, where he has placed us right here in southeast Minnesota. And one of the ways we can do that as a congregation that's before us right now is to partner with a ministry that is not new, but is new to Rochester called Care Portal. And Care Portal is a technology platform that works to connect vulnerable kids and families with churches who are nearby to them so that they can have uh, whatever it is, so that their needs might be met. And we'll start rolling out some more information about what that looks like here in the next few weeks. But for what all that needs to be said right now uh, is that if you're interested, there's going to be a sign-up sheet out at the Welcome Center that as you leave today, if you want, you can put down your name and your Uh, contact info just to say that you want to learn more about how you might be able to partner with that over the next over the next few weeks and I and I don't know what that will look like for each and every one of us but maybe for for some of us that is a way for us to tangibly show the community around us the love of God so that we might be able to love and serve those around us those who are in need those who are hurting especially this time of year so they can know that the body of Christ cares for them No matter where God might be calling each and every one of us specifically, uh, my ask is that you would step into where he is leading in faith. Because I am confident that God will meet you there. I have stood on this stage for three different funerals in 2021. And each of those funerals were celebrations of, of people who loved the Lord. Uh, people who who were a part of this congregation for a long time. And each of those deaths leave a hole. We might resonate with Elisha pretty deeply when we read this passage, seeing someone we love depart and being in mourning. And yet, just like Elisha, there is a cloak for us to pick up as we carry on those legacies of faith. The God who is with those who have gone before us is also with us now. We might find ourselves asking the question of verse 14 along with Elisha in our own day. Where now is the God of fill in the blank? 
Where now is the God of that grandparent who was so faithful and so loving and so peaceful and seemed to know God in a way that I've never experienced for myself? Where now is the God that I encountered when I was a high schooler at Pine Haven because it feels like it's been a long time since I've felt anything like that? If those are the questions you find yourself asking this morning, he has not gone anywhere. Because our God is not the God of any one specific person, any one specific place, any one specific period of time. He is the Lord. He is just as present right now as he has ever been. And if you've never put your faith in him, let's have a conversation today about what that looks like. If you have trusted in him before but are unsure about what the next steps look like going forward, about where God is leading, let's have a conversation about what God is doing and how you can be a part of it. The story of Elijah does not end with 2 Kings chapter 2. It continues. It continues throughout the story of Scripture. It continues through the work of the church, even down into today, as the work of God continues. And imperfect people like Elijah and Elisha and like you and like me get to be a part of it. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for how you work through us, your people. That from the beginning of creation itself, you have invited humanity in to partner alongside with the work you desired to do in this world. And so God, as your people today, we ask for your wisdom and your guidance as to how we can partner alongside you with the work you are doing in us and around us. We're grateful for this congregation we get to be a part of. We're grateful for the place where you have placed us. We ask that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to us, how you are at work through us, so that we might participate in the work that you are doing as your work continues through your hands and feet, the church. God, wherever you might be at work with each and every one of us this morning, we ask that you would give us faith to trust in you, to step, step into whatever might be next, whether that's trusting in you for the first time, whether that's, whether that's stepping into uh, stretching our faith in a way that it never has been before, God. We ask that you would give us strength, give us wisdom, give us courage as we walk into where you're leading. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the presence of your spirit among us that works through us. Be with us wherever we might go, wherever you might lead. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.